0: Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word. Open up your heart to God's spirit and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. So we don't get many opportunities to gloat and to be proud, but I will say to all you Alabama fans, thank you so much for the gift of Derrick Henry to Nashville. (laughs) You know, I was a little nervous last night, but I am super excited. Uh, Nashville's excited. It's always a good day when you are on a winning side. We've had a lot of years of down, and so it is very exciting. Uh, Today we continue our series at River Runs Through It. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 will be sitting pretty much in there the whole morning. This past week, I've been off social media, and, and so it's been an interesting. We've had a lot of extra time. I know many people use social media as a, as a tool, as a resource, as a platform. Uh, for me, it's become kind of a distraction from what I'm really called to do, which is to build other leaders, preach the gospel, and pray. And so I've been off social media, and so I've been able to schedule some extra time for other things. And I had a meeting with Mayor Holt. I was spending time with him in his office. When I pulled up to his office, there were these things called parking meters, so parking meters, sit in front of your car. This one's flashing red. And when I first moved to Florence, I learned this lesson. When I moved to Florence, I'd panic. I'd pull up to a meter and get to the meter. It'd be flashing red. And I realized I have to go to the store. One, go get to the ATM machine, pay a fee, get a 20, go to a store, break the 20, get some change so I can put the change in a little meter. Right? Because Nashville, parking tickets are a lot of money. So I did that over and over and over again. The problem with that is if I have any change in my car whatsoever, my kids borrow it. So one day I'm I'm running late to a meeting. I pull up in front of City Hardware and there's a parking meter there. It's flashing red. I didn't have time to go to the ATM and then go break it and then get changed. I didn't have all the time for that whole process. So I just stopped. I parked and I'm sitting there eating with this gentleman and I watched the parking meter person put a ticket on my car. Everything in me wanted to get up from the table and go, stop, no. And I went out there afterwards and I opened up the ticket and it was a $5 ticket. And I thought to myself, I've spent more than probably $200 in ATM fees and buying stuff I didn't need to get changed to not pay a $5 ticket. So then I made the decision, I would rather just take my chances. So I pull up to the mayor's office thinking, I'm at the mayor's office. Pull in, I'm there for an hour come out, there's already a ticket on my windshield. And so there's a lady named Samantha Ford. at the story a couple years ago. She ran into Dunkin' Donuts. And when she was coming out, she noticed an envelope on her windshield, much like I noticed. And she was upset. You know, it's another parking ticket. Or somebody wrote a letter telling about, you're a lousy Parker and da 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 And she opens up this envelope. And she opens up the envelope. It's a really crumpled up envelope. She opens it up and two $20 bills fall out. They had a little note written on the inside. It says... I want you to take your hero out to dinner when he gets back home. So I want to say thank you for you and his sacrifice, him for being away and for you patiently waiting. God bless, signed US Veteran. And on the back of her car was a bumper sticker that said half my heart is in Afghanistan. This little simple piece of gratitude. And and it's amazing, those little things of honor now seem big. And I think the reason they seem big is because we live in a culture where honor is not normally seen anymore. We live in a culture where people honor with their lips, but there's really nothing behind their honor. And it, I think it's, it's detrimental that we see people lip service honor all the time. You see somebody win an award and they honor God. You see rappers win an award for an album that's contrary to everything God stands for. But the first thing they do is, I wanna give glory and honor to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It, it's lip service. And there's a difference between lip service and life service. And I think some of this lack of honor, even for people like veterans or, or people who have given their all to our country, this lack of honor has infiltrated our spiritual walk, where now it seems like we're much like that. We want to give lip service, but not life service. So to contrast the two, you have, you know, a Veterans Day or, you know, give something and honor somebody one day a year. But real honor looks more like the soldier at the, of the, the tomb of the unknown soldier. We guard it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you will throw that picture up there. 24 hours, seven days a week. Since 1937, there have been soldiers guarding this tomb where we have no idea who's inside of it. We know it's remains of some soldiers who were never identified, but gave their all so that you and I could have freedoms to celebrate the Tennessee Titans, to celebrate and worship our Lord and Savior on Sundays, free with no worry, no concern, with security, with safety, 24 hours, seven days a week, rain or shine, meaning the good times and even the bad times. 9-11, they were still there guarding the tomb. When they get ready to go to the tomb, there's an inspection where they inspect every single detail of their uniform, every single detail of their weapons, and they have to pass inspection before they go and set honor before them. They wear no rank on their uniform. Since they don't know the rank of the unknown soldier, they never want to outrank that which they're honoring. And I believe that God looks for honor more from that point of view of a 24-7, no rank, no giving up, in storms, in the sun, in the snow, in the heat, in the cold, rather than just a once-a-year Veterans Day, let me help you make, make you feel good for a moment. There's a major difference. For honor is not lip service, honor is a life service. You would stand to your feet as we read Romans 12, 1 and 2 together. This is Paul's letter to the Roman church. and He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, we thank you that you are a God that all honor is due, that you have given your all to every single one of us. And we thank you for your word that renews our minds, your spirit that transforms us from the inside out. And Father, this morning I just pray that you challenge us to evaluate the offerings and the sacrifices we bring to you. Father, open up our minds to the reality of how we honor you and how we can honor you to a greater level. Father, right now we lift up Puerto Rico. We thank you uh, for all the people on the ground helping rescue and serve and and rebuild. Father, we pray for safety and deliverance for those who are injured. And Father, we just pray your hand upon the entire country, the the nation, Father of Puerto Rico, that they've been through so much. Help them bring unity and freshness and life back to it again. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is Paul's letter to the Roman church. This is a very interesting chapter. Chapter 12 is interesting. He says, therefore, this word therefore is key because this is a pivot that Paul is making. Paul starts the book of Romans really building the case that we are far away from God in Romans chapter 1, that God gave us over to our own desires, our own devices, our own, our own wants. And then he starts building build the case that in Romans chapter 3 that there's none righteous that none of us are righteous enough compared to God's standard. Then he starts building the case for grace and what grace looks like. And grace looks like us having nothing to offer God, but God having everything to offer us. Then Romans 6, he talks about how great grace is. And he says, but should we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? And he says, absolutely not. Then he gets to Romans 7 and 8 and talks about this transition from life or from death to life. Then Romans 9 is about where Israel fits in the whole scheme of this grace message he's preaching. You get in Romans 10 and 11 and all of a sudden it's this message of hope and love in Romans 8 that's enduring and everlasting. And that we're been formed into Jesus Christ. Then Romans chapter 12 comes and Paul puts this big comma. He says, this is all what grace is, but now this is what you should do in light of grace. Meaning, if you experience grace, it should produce this type of worship. If you experience salvation, it should produce this type of lifestyle. If you understand how much God loves you, it should produce this type of love for other people. It's this huge pivot that Paul goes from belief to practice or from lip service to life service. It's a major change. And here's what I believe he's saying to you and I. He's saying to you and I that we honor God's eternal sacrifice for us by becoming a living sacrifice for him. We honor God's eternal sacrifice that he made for you and me by becoming a living sacrifice for him. That is what honor is. Honor is saying, since you did something amazing for me, that deserves honor, I'm gonna give you something back. I can't, I can't give you the same sacrifice, but I can give you something. And I believe in our day and age, we live in a church generation that we stay on the lip service. We love to talk about grace. We love to talk about worship. We love to talk about love. We love to talk about salvation. But where is the, the honor or the sacrifice that comes along with it? Because honor is this, this is my definition. Honor is the choice. To demonstrate the value and high regard we personally place on something or someone. I mean, it's a choice. You have a choice to honor or not honor. And it's a choice to demonstrate the value you place on somebody else. That, that man in the car that gave the, the $20, the $220 bills to the lady, he was making a choice to demonstrate his value to her sacrifice. It's a choice that we make to demonstrate how much we appreciate or value somebody of significance. The actual word for honor in Greek is the word time, T-I-M-E, and it means weightiness. It was a word they used to measure things by, meaning it was weighty or valued or appreciated. And so when we say we honor somebody, it means I'm giving value. I'm giving appreciation. I'm I'm giving honor. I'm giving weight to what you have done for me, meaning I'm recognizing it. And I want you to know I recognize it. I'm going to demonstrate how grateful I am for it. And so that's what honor is this. I'm going to choose to give you priority in my life for what you've done for me. I'm going to choose to give you authority in my life for what you've done for me. I'm going to choose to give you say in my life because of what you've done for me for me. That's what honor really does. So meaning I'm giving weight to your word. I'm giving weight to your will. I'm giving weight to your spirit. I'm giving weight to your desires. I'm giving weight to what you say all because of this act that you did on my behalf. That is honor. But the problem with that is if there's an honor, there's also a dishonor. The, the antonym for honor in Greek is a time, a T I M E, which means it becomes common or familiar. So on one end, if I honor something, it means it's special. It's, it's, it's set apart. It's different. It's better. It's honorable. But the antonym to dishonor means I look at it as common. It's familiar, meaning you've gotten so used to it by now, you don't honor it anymore. Kind of like how we're supposed to honor our husbands and our wives. But once they become familiar, we start to lack a little bit of honor. In the Bible Belt, we've gotten so familiar with God's word so familiar with the the things of God, so familiar with the church of God that it's become familiar. And now we lean towards it being common rather than it being special. We've talked about the grace of God so much. This amazing message that we are all enemies of God, yet we're enemies. God chooses to love us and to invite us into his kingdom and save us and set us apart and make us not just servants, but children of the king. We've gotten so familiar, familiar with that message now that it's common and we're not giving things the honor that they are due and the difference between intimacy and familiarity familiarity is i'm so familiar with you because i'm close to you that i no longer respect you intimacy is i'm so close to you and i still love you because i honor you see honor is the key to break familiarity and bring intimacy into a relationship get this some of you are so familiar with god that there is no honor, and you're confusing familiarity with intimacy. Intimacy comes with this thing that you are still God, no matter how close I get to him. He is the king. He is the Lord. He is the creator. He is the deliverer. He is the redeemer. And when I come to him, I come to him with this honor, so I never make it feel common that I'm expecting this entitlement mentality. Because once I start expecting this entitlement mentality, I become familiar with the king. And I'm not giving him the honor that he is due. Because the proper response to the the grace to the gospel of Jesus Christ is honor. I would say the only response to the gospel is honor. When When you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to honoring him. When you say yes to God, you're saying I'm honoring you. See, honor is the only proper response to an honorable action. If somebody lays down your life for them, honor is the only honorable reaction. Honor is a reaction to an honorable action. And Jesus gave us the most honorable action we've ever seen. And it's up to us to choose. Are we going to honor him or dishonor him? Is it going to be lip service or is it going to be life service? And if you look through the the whole history of worship in the Old Testament, this is what worship looked like. Worship was God delivered the Hebrews from Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt. Then he gave them their righteousness through the law. Now here, now you're set apart. Now you've made, been made whole. Then they started their sacrifice or the worship. So how we worship is God delivers us. Then God sets us apart. And then we worship. Then we sacrifice. See, my worship is a response to what God has done. I don't worship trying to get God to respond. I worship out of what God has already done. If I'm worshiping, trying to get God to do something, that's a form of manipulation. That's not a form of worship. And so our response as people has to be one of, God has done so much for me. How can I honor him with the life I have left to live? That's what Paul is saying in the scripture. He says it this way. He says, I appeal to you. He's saying, I appeal to you. Therefore, brothers, By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Not music, not dance, not poetry, not instruments, not vocals but holy and acceptable living sacrifice do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect that is what he is describing as our way of worshiping or honoring God back so this is how we honor God we honor God by living lives that are holy and acceptable to him touch your neighbor say it's all about him i honor God by living my life in a way that is holy and acceptable to Jesus. Not based on what my mom or my daddy thinks, not based on what I think, based on what Jesus thinks. If he died for me, I should live for him. If he died for me, I should live for him. I'm not living for my own pursuits or my own desires since he died for me. I'm saying, this is my life. I'm giving it to you back. Whatever you want to do, it is yours. My pleasures are your pleasures. Your pleasures are my, I'm living my life. Since you died for me, I'm gonna give you and live my life for you and your glory. What that means is your first ministry, our first ministry as a church, your first ministry as a believer is not to the great commission to go reach and save the lost is not to go fulfill signs and wonders. Your first ministry as a child of God is to God. Your first ministry is to sit at the feet of your father and adore him and love him and worship. If you broke down the book of Ephesians in three units, it says sit, stand, and walk outline. Meaning you can't walk for God until you learn to sit at his feet. You can't stand for God until you learn to sit at his feet. Your first ministry is to let the love of God overflow in your heart and you adore him back into the overflowing love. Like that is our first ministry as believers, is to let God know how much we appreciate his grace, his mercy, his power, his love, and everything he's done for us. That's why Paul says in the scripture, we are a living sacrifice that my ministry back to God is is a living sacrifice. Here's my definition. A living sacrifice is a person who continually, touch your other name and say continually, not just on Easter, not just on Mother's Day, not just at Christmas, not just on Sundays, but a person who continually offers up their life, their time, their finances, their gifts, and their wills upon the altar of God's will and glory. Meaning a living sacrifice is not a one-time thing It's a daily thing. It's not a one-time Veterans Day. It's standing at the tomb or at the altar of God to continually offer up honor to your Savior. And see, this language of sacrifice doesn't make a lot of sense to us. We don't live in a culture where there's sacrifices being made on our behalf. But the people that Paul was talking to, they knew what sacrifice was not just the Jews who practiced sacrificial giving and sacrificial love over and over and over again, but the Romans, all the religions of that day had some form of sacrifice to them. So they knew the routine, they knew what it looked like, they knew what it smelt like, they knew what it heard like. And so when Paul uses this language, he's trying to connect the dots to this Old Testament sacrifice to this New Testament living. In the Old Testament sacrifice, there was three things that you and I as lay people were responsible for. We were responsible for bringing our own animal to the sacrifice. I mean, you had to get your own. It cost you something. You, you knew what it cost you because you, if you birthed the, the calf or the goat, you knew how hard you worked to keep that goat alive. You knew how hard it was to get up early and feed that goat, to take care of that goat. When it was hurt, you healed it and got it back to health. Now you have to take that goat to the priest before the altar. Then the second thing you would have to do is you would lay your hands on that sacrifice. And the reason you lay your hands on that sacrifice was to identify ownership or touch or love. Meaning I'm going to touch the sacrifice, meaning this is mine. Like a young boy grabbing something and saying, this is my toy. Saying, this is my sacrifice. And you would identify by holding your hand upon it and praying over your sacrifice. Then you're responsible for killing your sacrifice. Meaning if it's your goat, You don't get to pay somebody else to do it. You have to slaughter your own goat. Which means that thing which you've tried to keep alive for so many years, now you're responsible for putting it to death. That's a difficult worship. Could you imagine? I said, hey, next Sunday we're going to worship Old Testament style. I need you all to bring either a dog or a cat preferably or a cow or a goat. And we're going to set up an altar out front. And I need you to sacrifice your animal to God for the forgiveness of your sins. I promise you. That would be a difficult Sunday for a lot of you. Because you're realizing your sin cost you something. There's an emotional wear and tear upon that sacrifice. There, there's a heartbreak with that sacrifice. And that was our responsibility. The priest had three other responsibilities. He would take that, that animal that you sacrificed, he'd take the blood, he would sprinkle that blood all over the altar. It'd be a bloody, bloody mess. And you'd have to watch the blood of this animal that you love be spread all over this altar, representing your blood. Then he would take that lamb or goat, he would lay it upon the altar, he'd set it on fire, and it'd be consumed by this fire. Then he would take whatever was left over, he would dispose of any remains of that sacrifice because it was not to be taken back by you, it was once and for all done. In the same way, this living sacrifice that Paul is mentioning, he's using the same language Meaning, you have something to bring that is yours, that should cost you something. And you should allow it to die, whether it's your flesh through, through fasting, whether it's through a gift, through serving somebody else with it. You have something to offer that is yours. And you use that to glorify and honor God, through using it as a sacrifice. Then God takes it. God takes it, or Jesus as the mediator takes it and lays it upon the altar and sprinkles it around the altar as an incense unto God. Then it's consumed. You can't get it back. The only difference between a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice, a dead sacrifice is a carcass. You lay it on the altar, you leave. A living sacrifice, you put the altar on your back and you carry it with you. And every single day, you carry the sacrifice of your life with you wherever you go. And wherever you go, you're able to give glory and honor to Jesus through how you live, how you talk, how you respond, how you act, how you post, how you give, how you run your business, how you treat your wife, how you treat your husband, how you treat your kids, how you treat your teacher. Then you're carrying this altar that says, I live for the glory of God. When you say I'm a Christian, that is an altar where you tell people, I'm living for the glory of Christ who saved me. And you carry this altar around with you wherever you go. The only problem with that is, and the scripture is a holy and acceptable sacrifice, means there's sacrifices that Jesus may not accept. It means there's sacrifices that aren't pleasing to him. See, we've sold this sort of the grace message. We think we can do whatever we want to and it's all good to God. But the scripture, Paul's saying, whoa, whoa, there's some sacrifices that are holy and acceptable, but there's some that are not. And I want you to read this scripture, Malachi 1, 6-8. This is a prophet talking to the nation of Israel on the behalf of God. He says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord? of host to you, O priest, who despise my name. He's saying, but you say, here's what you say back, have we despised your name? He says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Meaning, in the Old Testament, the sacrifices had to be unblemished. It was your best offering. It wasn't just a sheep, it was your favorite sheep. It wasn't just a goat, it was your most prized goat. I Meaning you brought your best to God. What they started doing is, instead of giving their best, they would start looking around thinking, where's my worst? What can I give to God that'll cost me the least? They start looking around, well, here's a blind goat. Let's, let's get the blind goat because we can't use that anymore. Well, well, here's a lame calf. Let's take this lame calf because we can't use that anymore. They started giving God the leftovers instead of their best. And he says, here, this is how you're dishonoring me. I think when Paul is using this terminology of living sacrifice as a holy and acceptable offering, what he's saying is it should be your best, not your leftovers. It should be your best, not what you have left over. It should be your top priority instead of just, well, let me look around and see, what can I give God that doesn't cost me anything? What can I give God that doesn't hurt me at all? What can I give God that's not really a sacrifice? Meaning, how can I honor somebody who gave me everything and me not give them much at all? And that is the definition of carnal Christianity. Carnal Christianity is when you expect God to sacrifice for you, but you don't expect a sacrifice for him. Listen, I'm going to say that again. Because we live in a day and age full of carnal Christianity. Carnal Christianity is when you expect God to sacrifice heaven his glory, his character, and even his son for you, but you don't expect to sacrifice anything back in return. That is carnal. That is carnal Christianity. It is self-centered, self-righteous, and it makes you God, it makes God your servant. I was laughing a couple weeks ago, one of our young guys at the church had an Under Armour shirt. Under Armour is this great brand that has a lot of patriotic gear, and he had his Under Armour shirt, had like an American flag on it. Somebody says to his shirt, he's like, yeah, I'm just trying to show off my patriotism today. I said, really? I said, I can help you show off your patriotism really well. He said, how? I said, get in the car, we'll drive down to the recruiter's office, and I'll hook you up. (laughs) He said, I don't know about that. So what he's saying is, I I want to be patriotic, I just don't want to sacrifice for it. We do the same thing. We'll wear the the Christian garb, the Christian T-shirt, we'll show up on Sunday. We want to be affiliated with patriotism, but we don't want to sacrifice for it. See, with God, the only difference is when you sign up for the kingdom of heaven, there is no choice. You're at the recruiter's office. You don't get to be a spectator. You are part of his army. You show your honor, your patriotism of God, not by saying it, but by living it. That's why our first ministry is to Jesus. That's why our first ministry is to God. Because he gave us everything. What can I, how can I live my life in light of what he's done for me. I can't give him my life back. I can't repay him. I can't make it up to him, but I can try to honor him and how I live. I can not try to honor him and how I talk. I can not try to honor him. And so as a church, we exist to honor God. That means we're gonna give our best to him. We're gonna honor him first and foremost. The Great Commission is our mission. Like we, there's tons of lost people in the Shoals. There's tons of unsaved people. And we want to reach them. We want to make them disciples. We want to see them healed. We want to see them delivered. We want to see them set free. We want to see them experience freedom, but not at the detriment of honoring God. Because there's a right way to honor God and fulfill his mission. There's a lot of people out there that get the mission first and God lacks honor. I say if you honor God, the mission will come. That's why our worship is a vertical worship. Our worship is not about your feelings, not about your emotions, not about what you want. It's about how can we glorify God by singing worship and praises back to him? How can we tell him how much we love him? How can we connect to heaven? Towards, how can we have a presence-driven sanctuary? People walk in and it's not a music service. They experience the presence of God. That's only by being a church that honors God. It goes right back to this river, where the river starts. As we honor God at the altar, this river begins to flow. We want to give God our best worship. Why? Because he deserves it. We want to honor God with the best that we can do in how we live our lives. Holy living, old-fashioned, Pentecostal preaching, foot stomping, holy living. Like there is an acceptable offering and an unacceptable offering. There's a holy offering and an unholy offering. God has called you. The people he redeemed, the people he saved, he's called you to a higher standard than the world. He's called us to honor God through giving, sacrificing our time, through serving one another, our finances through giving. Even Pastor Anthony told us we honor God with our wealth at our church. We give more than 10% of what comes in this church back out in missions. Why we want to honor God with it? There's a way to honor God, and you are called. We are called as a church, to honor God. But it cannot stop at just trying to live a life to sacrifice. He says at this point too, we honor God by becoming less like the world and more like him. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to their patterns. Be transformed by the renewal of your minds so that you may know what is the good and perfect will of God. Meaning there's two things battling to conform you right now. The world is trying to conform you into their patterns and Jesus is trying to conform you into his image. And it's his battle that is ensuing. The world wants to mold you from the outside in through media, through culture, through fashion, through all the peer pressure. They want to mold you from the outside in. This scripture says Jesus wants to mold you from the inside out. He wants to take that seed of the gospel, that salvation you experience. He wants that to come from the inside out and affect how you think, how you live, how you walk. He's saying you are different. And that difference comes from the inside out, not the outside in. It's almost like Play-Doh. Play-Doh, remember you had kids, one, it smells like death when you open up a can of Play-Doh. Like I don't know what they put in there, but it cannot be healthy. Like kids, play with this Play-Doh. It's very toxic, but you'll be okay. They would take it and they'd mold it, right? Then you get your little cookie cutter things, they'd push it in and mold it in. That's what the world wants to do. The world wants to take you, this moldable Play-Doh that God wants to form in his own image, the world wants to take you and push you and squeeze you in the patterns the world wants for you, which we know is anxiety, which is greed, which is selfishness which is fear, which is worry, which is all divorce, division, hatred, racism, all these things. The world's trying to push us and push us. That's, we can feel the tension. Like we can feel the squeezing. Like you can feel the pressure pressing down upon you. You feel it. And it's the world trying to push you into a box. Like I dealt with this forever until I just, to realize I got saved and I realized I've never fit in because God didn't want me to fit in. Like, I kept trying to find which box I could be squeezed into, and I never quite got squeezed all the way in, and it hurt. And no one knows this more than teenagers today. Every waking moment of their lives, they're being pressured by social media, by TikTok, by school, by teachers, by friends, by by all types of influences, trying to squeeze them to change into what they want them to be. That's why we tell our kids, the world doesn't get to tell you who you can be. Your friends don't get to tell you who you can be. Only mommy, daddy, and Jesus can tell you who you're supposed to be. Meaning, I'm freeing you up that you don't have to try to be squeezed into some mold or form the world has produced for you. You get to be transformed into the image of Jesus. Even RJ, RJ plays basketball, and he's a cultist basketball bug. He told me, we're a basketball family. He told me a couple months ago, he said, dad, we're sitting in the kitchen. Dad, I don't think I like basketball anymore. And like inside of me, I always want to be like, What? What's wrong with you? We're going to kick you out of the family. We can't, all these things. But outwardly, I was like, Buddy, like, you know, it's cool. Like, you know, whatever you're called to do, whatever you want to do, like, we're going to support you. He says, Yeah, I just don't think I like it anymore. I love it. And I was like, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I was like, Thank you. And so I've talked to him about you can love something and still not give your all to it. And so I explained to him that many people love things. Basketball is not a sport you just play. It's like you are a baller. You're a hooper. Like you live the lifestyle. And I said, there's people, they play basketball every day, all day. It's not something they do once a week. It's, you, you have to love it and want it. You can love it and not work towards it. There's a whole lot of people that love Jesus, don't work towards it. And Friday or Saturday, I can't remember what day it was, I'm pulling out of the driveway to come back to prayer meeting, and I hear basketball. It's pouring down, flooding rain. And RJ's in the drenching rain shooting basketball. And I told him, buddy, I'm proud of you. Not for you scoring in a game. I'm proud of you because you're putting forth the work that, towards that which you love. I mean, if you love something, work towards it. Be strong about it. I mean, he's had this squeezing that's happened this year as a 13-year-old boy trying to fit in, trying to understand who we are somewhere. And I heard him out of the back seat. He said the N-word, right? I said, like, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, like, we don't say that in our house. He said, Why? I was like, dude, because we're not going to talk like that. He said, well, the guys on my basketball team said since I'm mixed, I can say it twice a day. (laughs) I was like, I said, I don't know if they're the ones that get to set that standard or not. I said, but one, we don't talk like that in our house. You're not trying to conform to their image. You talk how Jesus wants you to talk. Like, me and your mom have suffered through some things to bring you out of some things so you don't have to go back through it. Don't think you have to conform to them in order to fit in. Two, you don't look black enough to say it. Somebody may hear you and break you off. (laughs) There's a squeezing that's happening. And I'm immune to the criticism of the world trying to get me to form it because I'm immune to the praise of the world. If I'm living for God and to God, I don't have to worry about what people say in the world. Like, I'm immune to it. Their criticism means nothing to me because I'm not living for the praise. I'm living for when I'm done with this life, me walking to heaven and God saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I'm living for. I'm not living for people to say, I don't like the way you dress. I don't like the way you talk. I don't like the way you do this. I'm not living for that. So that means nothing to me. Now, if God says, I don't like the way you did that. If God says, I don't like the way you talk, then that carries weight because I'm living for him. And Paul in the scripture says, you find that renewal. You find this renewal by not trying to conform to the world but being transformed into the image of Christ. Too many Christians get called out of the world into a better world and a better kingdom only to try to fit into an old kingdom. Like this kingdom is passing away. This world is passing away. God's kingdom is eternal. And he's called you out of the old and into the new. Quit trying to fit into the old and start fitting into the New. And Paul said in the scripture, there's two ways that we are transformed. He says one we're transformed by the renewal of our mind or changing the way we think by God's word. Meaning this Bible is not a bunch of ink on paper. This is God's word to me. It has authority. It can reproof. Meaning it can tell me what I'm doing wrong. It can correct me. It can tell me what I'm doing wrong and how to do it right. It can challenge me. It can encourage me. His word has authority, but it also changes the way I think. Whatever I listen to and read the most will determine how I think. If I'm on social media all day long, it's going to change the way I think. If I watch the news, Lord, do not watch the news. It will change the way you think. If you read this, it will change your perspective into God's perspective. Actually, the word there for renewal actually means like, an upgrade where you're upgrading the software on your computer. You're taking out old software and you're adding new, better software, software that understands everything you're facing. Like you can discern there's nothing that's happened to you in your life that you will not find in this scripture. There's not one answer you will not find in this scripture. And this will change the way you think to start seeing God's point of view rather than your point of view. You'll start thinking God's thoughts rather than your thoughts. If you've ever had, I've been on Mac for a long time. Before I went to Mac and I had a PC, which is the old kingdom. Need to get to the new kingdom, which is Mac. When you're in the old kingdom, you get bugs and viruses. And almost 90% of the time they tell you the way to fix it is to reformat your hard drive, which is slang for get a new computer is what it actually means meaning we're going to take everything off this one and we're going to try to put it all back on, meaning we're going to upgrade your software. In the same way, you've lived your life 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 70, 80 years, however long you've been alive, with the world programming how you think. Generational patterns of poverty, generational patterns of addiction, Generational patterns of, of pity and, and self-harm and, and greed and selfishness. You've been, you've been molded by the world in the way you think for however long you've been alive. Then you get saved. Jesus gives you a new spirit on the inside, but you have the same brain. If I want my brain to be aligned up with my spirit, I have to start taking out some old thoughts and start adding some new thoughts which is his word, meaning I'm going to reformat the hard drive of my mind to line up with God's kingdom and the way God thinks. Then he says the other part is we are transformed by knowing God's will for us through his spirit and obedience. Meaning he's going to tell me what his good and perfect will is, meaning to discern what is God doing right now. What is God wanting me to do right now? What is God speaking right now? And then how can I obey? It's not enough to discern it. You have to obey it. Meaning, the more obedient I am with God's will, the more God will reveal to me. Let me explain. If God asked me, yesterday, and I wasn't even going to share this. Yesterday, we were working in the sanctuary. I was in my office. Yeah, I came in the office. I came out of the bathroom. He's standing right in the bathroom door, scared the daylights out of me. And I walk out, and he says, oh, he's like, are you here at the church? i was like, yeah. He's like, he gives me this whole story about his wife who just had surgery, da, da, da. And he said, X, Y, Z. And he needed money, gave him money, et cetera. And I said, can I pray for you? Because I felt like it was a test from God. Like, to be honest, we talked about angels last but I really thought it was an angel that was sent to the church. We're praying and fasting. I felt like it was an angel testing us if we just pray and fast or we actually obey what God tells us to do. So he came in, and and I gave him a little bit of money. I said, can I pray for you? He had some problems in his back. Can I just pray for healing in your back? And I believe as you discern God's will and you obey it, God will open up greater levels of revelation in your life. For your kids, as you obey what God has already instructed you in his word, you start obeying those things, he'll start giving you greater revelation and insight into their lives. See, God is a God who's progressive. When you read the Bible, he's a progressive God. He doesn't start at point A and go to point Z. He goes from A to B to C to D to E to F to G. Because if he goes from A to Z, we would fall apart trying to get there. He saw the disciples said, Come and follow me. They started following him. He said, Hey, come and follow me and pick up your cross and follow me. Then he says, Pick up your cross, follow me. and Then come and die. They said, Then go. See, God is a progressive God. And as you begin to discern his will and you obey it, he'll open up more, which in the scripture says, the good and perfect will of God. That is our desire, to be in the good and perfect will of God. And we can only do that by prayer. That's why we do sick nights, that's why we do prayer and fasting. Not because we want a bunch of people to lose weight. We want people to gain insight. We want our church to be a church that honors God. Saying, we're not going to move until you tell us to move. We're not going to go until you tell us to go. We're not going to do until you tell us. To. We want to be a church that honors God's voice first above our voice. And in doing so, we honor him. It helps us move out of the patterns of the world because the world just goes. The world moves fast. God kind of moves Slow. And in doing so, I'm breaking a pattern, and now I'm lining up with what God wants. Because my whole purpose, the whole Westminster Catechism was to know God, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Like, my job is to enjoy God's presence and give him glory in everything I do. And you can't do that when the world is getting in the way. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, don't be conformed to this pattern because that, that removes the glory of God from you. Be transformed into the image of Christ, for that gives God glory. Like when you see the moon, I'm a big stars guy. I love the stars. Me and RJ and Lisa went camping the week after Christmas and we're laying out. And the stars are just bright because there's no lights out there. It's just super bright stars. And the moon. And the moon is this amazing thing because all the other stars kind of produce their own light. The moon produces zero light. None. It only reflects the light of the sun. And so we see the moon, it's a full moon. Sometimes it's a quarter moon. Sometimes it's a half moon. Sometimes it's no moon. But the sun is always shining. So if the moon is reflecting the sun's light and the sun is always shining, how can the moon is not always a full moon? Because the earth gets in the way. So when you see a half moon, it's because the earth is covering half of the moon. See, the sun can only hit half of it. When there's no moon, it's because the earth is covering all of it and you can't get any reflection from the sun. And some of you in much the same way, that there's no light reflecting off your light because the world is getting in the way. God has created you to glorify him. He's created you to enjoy him. He's created you to honor him. And you're trying to shine this light, but there's so much of the world between you and him that there's no light being reflected. That's why we as a people want to push the world aside and let God's glory rain down upon us. That's why as a church, we exist to honor God, make disciples, and make an impact. Because the whole purpose, the purpose of every church, get this, every church, the purpose of you is to honor God, make disciples, and make an impact. Meaning for the glorification, every church, first and foremost, we exist to glorify God, glorification. Second is edification of the believers, you, you, to build you up, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to be who God has called you to be and send you out to do what God has called you to do, then it's evangelism or make an impact. See, those three things are the priority of the purpose of God's church. Glory, His glory, His honor. Two, making disciples, building each other up. And three, making an impact or making disciples and evangelism wherever we may go. The problem with that, if you start getting those three things out of order, the church gets unhealthy and it begins to topple. I mean, if I start trying to make make disciples above glorifying God, I'll start making disciples in my image rather than God's image. If I start trying to reach the lost at the expense of God's glory, I'm not really reaching the lost. I'm reaching them to a cause or to an organization. For us, I'm making this covenant with you. We exist to glorify God first and foremost. He is the one that saved us. We're not trying to get our salvation by works. He's already saved us. We're trying to just live in a sacrifice back to him. Two, we're here to build you up and help you become who God has called you to be. Three, we're trying to get out of here and go and try to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why this river is flowing. And this is what Paul is saying in the scripture. We are called to be living, holy sacrifices unto God. Honor him and then not be... conform to this pattern, be transformed so then we can be the light into the world we need to be. But it's a living sacrifice. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. The scripture, it says a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The problem with that scripture is that there's some sacrifices that are dead and there's some sacrifices that aren't holy and aren't pleasing or not acceptable to God. And so if your life, if if this Sunday is kind of that, that moment in Old Testament church where they bring their offerings to the Lord, they bring these sacrifices to the Lord, what are you bringing to the altar? Are you bringing your best? Or maybe you're bringing what's left over? Maybe instead of bringing something that's alive, maybe you're bringing dead religion. Maybe instead of you bringing your best life, maybe you're just bringing whatever you have left. Instead of giving God your best worship, maybe you're just giving him some, whatever's, whatever's around. See, there, as Malachi said, there are offerings that God just says, I'm not pleased with that. And it's almost like he's saying, I gave my son to you. And you're just going to bring me this halfway, lukewarm, Bible belt religion. I'm not asking you to die. I'm just asking you to live for me. To live in a way that reflects my love for you to those around you. Live in a way that reflects my sacrifice to you for me. What are you bringing to the altar? Every head bowed, every eye closed. What are you bringing to the altar? Are you living your life in response to the eternal sacrifice God made for you? Are you that soldier At the unknown tomb, walking and honoring God 24-7. Or you, that person on Veterans Day just says, hey, thanks for being a veteran. God, thanks for being a Savior. Or you saying, God, I'm going to give you my all. Today, maybe God is speaking to some of you. He's talking to you about the offering, the life you're bringing to God. In response to the salvation that you received through Jesus Christ. Maybe you got to speak in your heart and say, today's the day that you lay your life down upon the altar so I can give you a new life that you can begin to live for my glory. Meaning you don't have to fix it up. You don't have to try to create something new. He's going to give you a new life. And it takes this, saying, God, I'm laying mine down. And I'm going to ask you to give me a new one. If that's you. Every head is bound, every eye is closed just for a moment. If that's you. Just see, You know, God is speaking to me. And I want to make a commitment to God this morning that I want to start again. I want a new life in him. I bet you just raise your hand up right where you are. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? I'm going to pray, and if you raise your hand, I just want everybody to pray along with me and intercede for those that raise their hands. If you do me a favor, as you leave, if you stop by the Info Center, let them know you, you raise your hand. Let them give you a free gift to tell you thank you and to help you along your path. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you made an eternal sacrifice for us. And Father, in return, we want to be living sacrifices to you. If I were to honor you, we want you to be our first ministry that we can just honor you with our lives, with our lips, with our lives, with our talents, with our gifts, with our time, with our finances. We want to honor you with our best. With the best we have to offer, Father, we want to give to you. And, Father, we ask that you receive it, that you you take it, and you use it all for your glory. Father, for those that raise their hands, we just pray for renewal. We pray as they lay their life down, you give them a new life with new hopes, new dreams, new purpose, and a new destiny. Father, let them understand the price that is paid, that salvation is free, but it costs you everything. Father, let them live in light of the blood that was poured out for them. Let them live lives that reflect their gratitude, their humility, and their love back to you. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in them and through them. We pray that you protect them, you guide them, and lead them as they follow you the rest of their days of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, if you would stand to your feet. We've got a few moments. We're going to close out just with one song, and it's my thing. We honor God by becoming, we honor his eternal sacrifice for us by becoming living sacrifices for him. Bring God your best. For the next four minutes, bring God your best sacrifice of praise. Honor him with the best you have to offer out of the overflow of your heart in this moment of worship in Jesus' name.